medication she may be on and just pray, Father, that you would strengthen her. Lord, I lift up our children's ministry and I just thank you for them and just pray that you would bless them. Pray, Father, for this Saturday that it would be a time of like-minded people coming together for a common purpose, Lord, and our children would be the beneficiaries of this. And so I lift them up to you. Pray for those who will be teaching the little workshops, myself and doing a Bible study and all of these things. And God, just pray that you would just strengthen our ministry, our church as a whole, because of this Saturday. And then lastly, Lord, I lift up Anne's family. I lift up Shannon and I pray for Amber and I know Ann has another stepdaughter and just pray God that you would do a work in their lives and son as well and just pray Father for that day that we have the privilege and the opportunity to host her family here as we remember her and just pray that it would be a blessed day and so once again Father we just thank you that you've given us these opportunities to minister to your saints may we be counted faithful in our prayers we ask in Jesus name amen. Psalm chapter 8, starting at verse 1, to the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, a psalm of David. It's interesting, it says, on the instrument of Gath. Keep it in mind, that little title is part of the inspired word of God. It doesn't say on a instrument of Gath. This was more than likely David when he was fighting with the Philistines. He conquered this area and they found some sort of musical instrument there. Um, It's believed by the commentators and the historians that it was some sort of stringed instrument. We don't know. But really what this represents, it's God who enables his people to overcome their enemies and they're worshiping God through that. So the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, the Psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor." You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. If you started at the beginning of Psalms, starting at Psalm 1 and read up to this point, you would have seen man in his overwhelming circumstances. King David, as he deals with the issues of his life and the problems, and you would see the effect upon him. And really what he's dealing with is the same things that we all deal with, just everyday life and the hardship as we live in a society that is infected by sin. You will notice that in each instance, it is God who is the solution to the problem. The psalmist follows a very familiar pattern in these particular psalms. Not everyone, and not even in the one tonight, but so much the ones when you see him vexed with a particular issue. As he's discussing the issue, and this is probably a psalm that we'll look at next week, but as he is addressing an issue, it just seems to be overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed by situations or circumstances. He's overwhelmed by an enemy, and sometimes the enemy is even himself. He's dealing with these things, and he just seems overwhelmed and doesn't know what to do. And then we come to the middle of the Psalms, and there's always a turning point as he turns to God. 
And then usually those psalms, always those psalms, they end in victory as he has a fresh awareness of who God is and what God is able to do and just as important what God is willing to do in his life. And God has glorified that through that. When I first uh, taught through the psalms, early 2000s, one of the things that I realized, we went verse by verse through the Psalms, and we're just going to go through a period of time when I pick a few select Psalms out for the next month or so. But nonetheless, I saw how practical they were to a born-again believer's everyday life, how a person approaches God and seeks God out, the realities of the trials that we have in this world. And again, even some of them are or have arisen because of ourselves, the things we've said or the things that we have done, but nonetheless, and how God enters in and interacts with man. Because one thing that you cannot deny is that David had a very, very, very personal relationship with God. We'll be looking at Psalm 23 and seeing that during our Easter time. But again, one of the things that I I think of as I look at Psalm 23, chapters 1 through 7 and see how God cares for man, just the personal attention and the personal care that he gives to mankind, I think, why? We can be such projects. We can be such pain. And even at times we can be, just be so disobedient. As you look at a holy God and a sinful man, why does he continue to strive with mankind? And he does strive with us. Why does he not judge us and just move on? Even during the time when things were as evil as they've ever been, as we look at Genesis chapter 6, you see that God was striving with man. But he says, I will not strive with man forever. But he was striving with man. He's to walk side by side with man for the purpose of man's benefit, mankind's benefit. He does that with us today. And God puts forth this effort because all relationships demand effort. They demand us to make an investment into it, and God has made the ultimate investment through His Son, Jesus Christ, but continues to invest of Himself every single day. So based upon this investment that God has made into our lives, what investment are we willing to give? What investment are we willing to make into our relationship, into the work of ministry, into all that God has set before us? To whom much has been given, much is expected. And so we can ask why. Why is God's affection set upon mankind? Well, God wanted his people before they entered into the promised land just to get a little picture of his heart in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. It says, The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all people. Verse 8. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep an oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh and the king of Egypt. And the easy answer there is so that God's glory would be reflected from these humble, feeble people to the world. And the world would understand the strength and the majesty of God. We are all common, everyday people, if you will. If you don't think so, then you're probably in the wrong place here tonight, or God will at least show you to the contrary. But the reason is God works through just ordinary people's lives is so that he would be glorified. Just as he worked back then with Israel, he works that way with us even today. 
Isaiah chapter 49, verses 15 through 16, shows a picture of the care that God has for us when it says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. God has inscribed you on the palms of his hand through that nail that was driven as he bled upon the cross. God will never leave us. God will never forsake us. It's his love that binds him to us. My wife and I, we were going to church. We lived in La Habra at the time. We had our son, Sean, and the twins were just a month or two old. I don't recall. And we would... she was pretty much getting them together or getting them ready for church. I think I was getting Sean ready, and so she would get one ready, put him in the car seat and set him there, go and get the other one ready, set him in the car seat. And I got Sean in the car. She got the other one in the car, and we left. And we realized we're missing somebody here. Who did we leave? I don't remember. No, we left Kelly. That's what happened to Kelly. That's why she's got the issue she does today because she was forsaken by her mother and father. We, just let, we didn't even pull out of the driveway, really. But nonetheless, God... God will never leave you nor forsake you. You will not be all dressed up, but no place to go. The theme that we have here in Psalm 8 tonight, and again, just the reason I chose Psalm 8, I'm not going to do all of the psalms in the series that I'm doing, but just because of the magnitude of the worship that David has. As I said in my prayer, I can just imagine him out there. And we don't know that this is the issue, but I, I just have it set in my mind that David's out there in the high country tending his flocks, and he's just looking out into the vastness of space, looking into creation and seeing the hand of God. God. Now, you can look out as you drive home, and you're not going to see a whole lot of stars. They're there, but the world, the world blinds you to that, as the world does so much. But if you get away from the world, if you're able to go out into the desert, up into the mountains, wherever it might be, you can see not just the stars, but you, if you look closely, you can see the layers of stars. And you can just see the magnitude of the amount of stars that there truly are. I went um, backpacking with a couple of friends, and we climbed up into the backcountry of, uh, of the Sierras, and we were back in this lake, and there was this rock that kind of jettisoned out into the middle of the lake. Um, there was a lot, this was in July, and it was a rainy year, and there was a lot of mosquitoes, so we would go out onto this rock and just lay out on this rock at nighttime. Didn't really get dark to about 9 o'clock, and we would lay out there, and it would get into the 70s, get comfortable, and the wind would be blowing, and it would keep the mosquitoes away, and I remember just looking on that rock and just thinking, wow. And you just think of how insignificant in the vastness of all that you're seeing, how insignificant you really are, Yet God cares for you. Yet God died for you. God looks after you, and it's an amazing thing. And I really believe that that's what David was contemplating here when he wrote this psalm, or at least maybe after becoming king, thinking back to that time. The theme of Psalm 8 is the greatness of God and the place of man within God's universe. Universe universe is literally defined as all in one. It's why we call universities universities, because in the study of chemistry, biology, botany, anthropology, whatever it might be, all of these studies, they're all unified in one. All of our universities used to be Christian schools, or at least have religious basis to them. 
because the idea with all these uh, versities of disciplines, they're all unified in God, and they would always lead back to God. Problem today is they don't do that, and we see the situations that we deal with today. But for our purposes tonight, we see the vastness of, of the universe that is unified. At least this is what David is seeing under the mighty hand of God. And we have to see that because if not, we're on a rock out in space flying through the universe and there is nothing that is holding us on course. There has to be some kind of thought, there has to be some kind of planning, and there has to be some kind of care. Hey, Lord, where are those people? Where's Earth? Ah, they're floating out there somewhere. I don't know. I haven't checked on them. No, it's not like that at all. God's attention is fully towards us, and David is coming to an understanding of that. We're going to divide this chapter into four sections as the psalmist contemplates man's position in relationship to God and his creation. In verses 1 and 2, we're going to see the majesty of God. In verses 3 through 4, we'll see the insignificance of man. Verses 5 through 8, how we have been made significant by God. And then verse 9, a reminder of the majesty of God. A lot of times as well, David, especially in the praise psalms, David will recognize God, he'll go into some aspects of his relationship, and he'll close with the, um, the worship of God. And so why does God care for me? Well, this is, is why. So first of all, the majesty of God. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. Really, there's a whole Bible study in this first verse. For a proper view of the situation, the psalmist, he first does look to God. And I would imagine, as creation speaks of the existence of God, the Word of God speaks of the existence of God, this is David looking out and seeing all this vastness, but then being reminded of the One who has placed all there. As he does... He sees the kingship of God. He comes to this understanding that God is seated upon the throne and God is in control over all that goes on. One of the things that we noticed when we were seated on, you know, laying out on that rock in the middle of that lake, in the middle of the wilderness, in the middle of the night at times, was just the shooting star. How sometimes a star has just moved out of place or a star just ceases to exist. And if all things are truly working together for the glory of God, then God had a plan and purpose for that star, and he had a plan and purpose for moving that star out of its place or doing away with that star. He's got a plan and purpose for all things because all things work together. And so he sees the majesty of God, and this is a man in whose life God has the most exalted of positions. Just even this, this little phrase, our Lord, oh Lord, or O oh Lord, our Lord. Really what he's saying is Yahweh is our Adonai. A Lord, Lord is the one who has control over your life. So if you look at in your Bible, it says, O Lord, our Lord. O Lord, Lord there, should be all capitalized. So a reminder, that tells me that that is the tetragrammatron in the original Hebrew, Yahweh, w, uh, Y-H-W-H. This is, and we'll look at this in a little bit, it's how God revealed himself to Moses through the burning bush. And the idea behind it is, is I am that I am. And so what David is saying, the God who is, the God who exists is our Lord. Because you can make pretty much anything the Lord of your life. The rich young ruler, 
He made his riches the Lord of his life. Judas, his flesh was the Lord of his life. Demas, the world was the Lord of his life. King David, the God who truly is, in the midst of all of the gods of the world, our God is the God that exists. Our God is the God that came and met men in a very personal way. Our God is not the God who demands of his people, but gave of himself for the purpose of his people. Our God is the one who reached in by a mighty hand to the most powerful nation in the world, Egypt, and delivered them from slavery and brought them into the promised land after he eradicated the people who were of the land. Our Lord is the Lord who is. And we have to be of that mindset that it's just not Jesus Christ is our Lord, is that Jesus Christ is our Lord. And what I mean by that is, don't ever take it for granted. Understand what that means and understand what needed to have to come to pass in order for that. You know, you look at the the vastness of the Old Testament and all the works and everything that was going on there was all leading to the day of mankind's salvation and it was working towards the day of my, of your salvation as well. And this God who is, he's not silent, he's there. He is the one who is our Lord. And you see the feebleness of mankind, and you see the feebleness of mankind at the very least on every deathbed that has ever existed. And you see how man, man can't do anything for his own situation, let alone the situation of another. It's God who has done a work in the midst of all of those things. And that God is our Lord. So he's saying, the God who is, is my Adonai, is my Lord, is the one who governs my life. And so he's really saying a mouthful there because there are others who have so many other gods, but even though they may call them a god, refer to them as a god, they really don't exist. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, it says, What profit is the image, speaking of a false god, that its maker should carve it, the molded image, a teacher of lies, that the maker of it should mold it and trust in it, To make mute idols, woe to him who says to wood, awake. To silent stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in there is no breath at all, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Let all of the earth focus upon God and hear his voice. There was that time when Moses, Moses lived 40 years in luxury as the son of the king, the adopted son of the king. He learned the ways of the world, again, the most powerful nation of the world. And God called him, but he was ill-prepared for the work that God had called him. There still needed to be a breaking in this man's life. And so God sends Moses to that place where he sends so many, we see in the scriptures, to the wilderness. It's that place of breaking. It's that place of working the world out of him so God can enter into him and do a great work. And it was that one day he was in the wilderness, even the backside of the wilderness, that God decided to meet him because God was going to send him. In verse 11, it says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So the question in verse 11 is, Who am I? In verse 12, so he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. 
verse 13. Well, that, that argument didn't really help Moses. And so verse 13, then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? So his first question is, Who am I? Second question is, Who are you? Who, who, who do I say? Who is going to be doing this work? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Or that's where we get the tetragrammatron Yahweh. Tetragrammatron is a four-consonant word. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And the reason God took that name upon himself is because he, how he wanted to reveal himself both to Israel in Egyptian captivity and the captors as well, Egypt. He wanted them to know and to understand that this is the God who is. And if you look at all of the plagues that, that, that went on, that, that God exercised against Egypt, each of those plagues was directed towards an Egyptian deity. And the idea was is that God is overcoming the gods of Egypt. He is more powerful simply because he is the one that truly exists. And so Moses is getting a big lesson here. Moses would continue to argue, but eventually Moses would submit himself to the will of God, and God did some great things. And so this is the God who is and has always cared for his people. It's part of his nature. It's part of who he is. Back in Psalm 8, David says, or I guess asks, how excellent your name is in all the earth. Excellent, that word can be translated great as far as magnitude, powerful as far as ability, noble as far as majesty, magnificence as far as glory, and illustrious as far as, well, compared to anything else. His name is the name above all others. Now, so many times in the Bible you see doesn't matter pretty much whoever it is and you can look up the meaning of their name and you'll see the meaning of their name will match the character of that person that was just simply ordained by by the lord this is the word of god but what about the name of god i mean we've looked at this before in exodus chapter 33 moses moses in chapter 3 wanted to know god's name but then in chapter 33 he's wanting to see god he's wanting to physically see him because the world is able to do that with their gods. Well, God, this God, our God, the God is, is, is a little bit different. And so the Lord understands our desires, our wants, and our needs. And he tells them, okay, you stand in the cleft of the rock, and I will pass before you. And we're told that Moses did that. He stood in the cleft of the rock, and he saw the hind parts of the glory of God. He saw the trail of the glory. This was the only portion of God that Moses could comprehend because nobody could stand in the presence of God and live. And what you're seeing is, through God's glory, is the absolute purity of the Lord. I imagine the sun would even pale in comparison. And so Moses was wanting to physically see God, but that's not how man knows God. I mean, nobody physically sees God, not in this lifetime, unless God manifests himself in a particular way, and he will eventually do that in Jesus Christ. But the way that man sees God is through the word of God. And in the next chapter, it says, as God was passing before him, 
Moses also heard him proclaim who he was. And it says in Exodus 34, verses 5 through 6, Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, he's merciful. Now this is the dynamic of God. His name denotes the nature and the essence of who God is. The name of the Lord, well, he's merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and in truth. Also, there's judgment without a doubt. That's part of the nature of God. He is just. But why does God care for us? It's his nature, because he's merciful. Why does God love you? Because he's merciful. He doesn't want to give you what, he deserve, what you deserve. He's gracious. He wants to give you that which you don't deserve. Remember, mercy, it keeps us out of hell, but grace gets us into heaven. And again, it's just an amazing concept when you think about it, but that's, that's who God is. He's long-suffering. How, how old were you when, when you got saved? God suffered with you for all of the years previous to that date. He's still suffering with you even today. He's putting up with you. He puts up with us all, abounding in goodness and in truth. It's the name of the Lord. It denotes who God truly is. David says, how excellent is your name. This is the name David's coming to a realization without stating it this way. That is above all names because there's nobody that has the magnitude of mercy and grace who will be long-suffering and bounding in goodness and truth as our God is. Judgment It's part of his nature because he is a just God. The guilty must be punished, but it's not his desire. In Ezekiel 33, 11, Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but the wicked turn from his way and live. Later on, as we saw in Psalm 51, King David would experience that aspect of God as well. Again, verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. All of creation cannot contain the glory of God. The glory of God, the glory of God is going to be that which will illuminate our permanent dwelling place in heaven. There will be no sun, there will be no stars, but the glory of God will bring light to all of our lives. King Solomon understood this concept in 1 Kings chapter 8, Verses 22 through 30, it says, Then Solomon, now this is Solomon praying as the ark was brought into this new temple, and it says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants, who walk before you with all of their hearts. You have kept what you promised, your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Therefore, because you have done that, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David, my father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel, only if your sons take heed to their way and they walk before me as you have walked before me. And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, but how much less this temple which I have built. 
Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today, that your eyes may be open towards this temple, night and day towards the place which you said, my name shall be there, and you may hear the prayer which your servants make toward this place. And may you hear the supplication of your servant and your people Israel when they pray towards this place, here in heaven, your dwelling place, when you hear, forgive. What Solomon is understanding is this magnitude of what God is doing at this time. He has created this temple or built this temple, and now the ark is in there and God's glory has filled it. And he's thinking, man, who are we that God would fill this temple with his glory? He's understanding, now, this is huge, this is massive, but God is as if he has focused his attention in this place. And again, this was revealed through the glory of God being there. The glory of God and the idea is the presence of God. But you should even be more blown away than Solomon was. Just as Solomon is praying this passionate prayer, how much more so should we be passionate because the glory of God dwells in here. He, he dwells within you. It happened on the day that you were born again. You became a temple that was cleansed and cleansed and ready for occupancy, if you will. And the Holy Spirit came and dwelt within you. The glory of God came and dwelt within you. And you should be just as blown away by the magnitude of the love that God has as he revealed his presence to these people just simply because they followed through in what God had commanded them to do. Verse 2, back in Psalm 8, Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. It's through the innocent, the helpless, and the feeble that God's mighty position is established. If God had done a work through the most powerful people and nations in the world, they could have easily taken the glory. But as far as those who are innocent, helpless, and feeble, and God working and doing mighty things through them, you come to the realization that it's only God who has been able to do this. And it's through the praises of the weak or those who God makes strong that he is glorified. Who specifically is praised directly or directed through? It's our Lord Jesus Christ who has humbled himself, set the example and now is glorified because of this ultimate work of salvation. In Matthew 21, 15, 17, But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that the Lord did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? And so the idea of this is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ as we direct our praises to God through our Savior. Who is the enemy and the avenger that is being spoken of here? All who would go to hinder the praise of our Lord. Secondly, we see the insignificance of man, verses 3 through 4. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? and the Son of Man, that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Again, David, I can just imagine him looking up at night and realizing how small we truly are comparatively. 
Now, I, I really, again, just my personal perspective of this, and you can take it or leave it, it's David thinking back when he was out there in this wilderness. And I would imagine just thinking of before God had set him on the throne, before God had did the things that he has done through him, just thinking back at those humble beginnings and how he, he, he couldn't have had a clue what God was going to do. He couldn't imagine the kingdom that was going to be built. He can't even consider the majesty of God as it was revealed through this work that he had a part of, and it's humbled himself before his holy God. And so he sees these things, and he had to constantly be reminded of these things as he looked at the creation of the Lord. I don't remember where my wife and I were the other day. Might have been coming to church last Sunday. I don't remember. But we came up up the street, headed north, and we saw the mountains that are there. And I was telling her, man, you can see the mountains quite regularly now because remember, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you can kind of forget that the mountains are even there with all of the smog that we have and all the haze that was going on and all of that stuff. I remember she was saying that she didn't even realize that they were there when we first moved in. Because we moved in sometime in November, and I, I don't remember the situation completely, but she said she went to the grocery store with the kids. She was coming back. It was a clear day, and boom, it just kind of hit her in the face. And sometimes it just needs to hit us in the face. The creation of God and just kind of the, wow. To go up in an airplane and see the creation of God. I remember we were flying northern California and going over the Sierras and just mountaintop after mountaintop after mountaintop and all of the wilderness that is there. Or you drive through the desert and it seems like it's going on forever, but just the desert and just the the beauty of that. My wife was at um, my daughter's house in Yucca Valley and they went into uh, Joshua Springs National Park and just the rock formations and all of that stuff. And just how God, you know, he did this here and did that there and he just had purpose and plan for all that he had. And... God has given us this life, and God has set us in this area as far as Calvary Chapel, Ontario, and he has created us to be who it is that we are continually coming to be for the reasons and purposes that he has set before us. And I see as we have opportunities, I did the invocation at the um, airport commission yesterday, and it was just something just short and sweet kind of a thing, but then they started talking about chaplaincy, and if we're interested in chaplaincy, and my point in all of that is, is that there's opportunity to have influence within the city, and to be able to touch people, and to touch hearts of people, and, and, and there's just so many different areas. You know, last week we were at Mercy House and, and to be able to minister there. We have to be of that mindset because as God has said his glory in this place, we should not hinder his glory but release it to the surrounding community that God has called us. And then again, just David as he's looking into outer space, have you ever considered that? I mean, we get so caught up in our daily lives. But have you ever looked at just the sky and the vastness of it? I don't know where most of you were. Some of you weren't around, but most of you were in September of 1977. In September of 1977, Voyager 1 was released out into space. It was a probe. It was just a probe that just, they pointed it in whatever direction they pointed it and shot it out there. And the thing about it is, it's still out there. It's still heading in a straight line away from planet Earth. I can't describe to you because I don't know all the terminology in the area that it's in, but it's outside of our solar system, and it's still sending data back to Earth. 
And, and again, that's since September of 77. I think it was August of 77 that Voyager 2 was released, and that's out there today as well. It's 13 billion miles away from Earth, and, and it's not even close to the edge of space. Matter of fact, it's not even close to the edge of space. And, and just as God has created what we see here, God has created what we don't see out there. And again, you just see the vastness of God. And the Bible tells us these things are contained in the palm of his hand. And that means that it's completely under his total control. And again, it's just mind-blowing when you think about it. <clears throat> so again, David is just simply seeing God through his creation, as I mentioned earlier, natural theology. But natural theology, natural theology is enough to know of the existence of God. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, I believe we looked at this last week, it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, the pagan, the unbeliever, are without excuse. Natural theology, a reality in which the existence of God cannot be denied. The only way that man can deny it is to willfully deny it. He has to ignore the truth that is there. Again, verses 5 through 8 this time, or thirdly, how we have been made significant. For you have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. Speaking of mankind and mankind's place in the sight of God, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, and have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. I didn't look it up, and I should have, and I still might get the information to you next week because it's very interesting. There was a, I believe he was a British lieutenant, but he was in the British Navy, and he saw this paths of the sea thing here, and it caused him to think, this is the word of God. And if the Word of God says there's paths in the sea, then there's paths in the sea. Now, what would that mean? Now, we know that this would mean currents, because there's currents that take a lot of time off a trip from one side of the sea to the other. And, and they've mapped these things out. And so as ship, they're, they're called shipping lanes. As the ships take these currents, they're able to, to, to cut a lot of time off their trip. I don't, I don't know, like wind currents too, HL, for airplanes? Is that a reality? Yeah. And, and so you see these things, that God has created these things, and the Bible says they're there. And so if the Bible says that they're there, they should be able to be found. And they found these things. And again, this is all from the reality of the Word of God, because God has revealed through His Word the reality of His creation, and it's up to mankind to see the handiwork of His hands in these things. And as we do, we're blessed, but as we don't, we miss out on so much. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 5, And we have such trust through Christ towards us that we are, signif we are not significant of ourselves to think of anything as being of ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. And so it's God who has made us sufficient. We're told in Genesis chapter 1 that we are made in the image of God. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And so God, God has a special affection for mankind because we are made in his 
image. And so we're set apart from the animal kingdom. We're set apart from any other thing of his creation. If you look at our society today, where's the focal point? The focal point is not upon man. Focal point is upon creation. It's beyond the animals. It's, beyond, it's anything but mankind. There's more value in a whale or whatever than even a human baby today. A human baby holds no value in the sight of our, of our society today. Mark Twain said, There comes a time you and your dog stand at the gates of heaven. And since salvation is by favor or by grace, you get to enter in. But if salvation was by merit, the dog would. It's by the grace of God, as God has set his grace upon us. And we need to understand that. There's nothing I can do. All right, Joanne, it's not that funny. <laughs> there's, there's nothing I could do to get in. And, and the idea is, it's the sad part of this, I was hopelessly lost. I was hopelessly lost with no hope whatsoever. But it was because of the affections of God. And David is realizing this through all of creation and how we've been provided for that God has put his favor upon us. He's set aside the things that mankind thinks is important for us. And we're worried as a people about global warming. And, hey, if we're damaging the earth, we need to be concerned about that without a doubt. But it's my God who keeps me. It's my God who watches over me. Again, we have responsibility, but ultimately, it's the Lord. Part of the problem with the world, this is all they got. If this goes to waste, which we know it will one day anyway, then they have nothing. But the thing about it is, because of Jesus Christ, we have everything. We have everything simply because God has set his affections upon us. And then lastly, a reminder of the majesty of God. Verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. He makes all of these considerations and he comes back to the place where he began. And so many times we need to go back to the place where we began in our work with the Lord. It was that day when we came to the realization and the understanding of first love. I'm just going to close. You can close your Bible. <clears throat> I just want to close with Psalm 121. It's a song of essence. A song of essence is when mankind would be, or I'm sorry, the Jew would be going into Jerusalem for the appointed feast. He always went up to Jerusalem. It says, I will lift my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth even forevermore. Father, we just thank you for, for your promises. And these are the promises that are supernaturally kept by the God who is. The God who created all that we see, all that we're able to observe and experience by just the word of his mouth is able to keep me as well. And so, Father, we just thank you for this knowledge that is so wonderful. I pray, Father, that we would not only know these things, but we would embrace these things. And Lord, we would live these things. And so, Father, just as David had this revelation of who you are, obviously it was by the Holy Spirit, but, Father, it, it was brought to his attention through your creation. 
I pray as we observe the things that you have created, those, those whom you have recreated, those who are born again, we would see the things that you are able to do and continue to do every day in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? Keep in uh, mind the children's seminar that is going on this Saturday, even if you're not attending, just because it's just an important part of our church. God wants to do a work in our children's lives, and he does so through those who faithfully serve him. So just support that. Support it in at least prayer. If you're able to come out and help serve that day, I'm sure that would be appreciated as well. If you are a teacher here, we ask that you would make that the utmost priority. Or if you're just interested in children's ministry and you want to know more, that would be a great day to come out and experience more. God bless you guys. As we close with this last song, as Pastor said, it's that reminder, and it happens to be taken from Psalms 121, so let it be a reminder to your heart what we've heard tonight, that we would be reminded of where our help comes from. So sing this to your Lord and make it your prayer tonight as we close out.
Father God, tonight we just describe glory to you. You are our help. So, Father, help us to trust you more. And may we call on you each and every moment. And all God's people said, Amen.